The story of biblical Israel describes an act of violence around the pit by brethren in Genesis. And then we read in the book of Jeremiah of another terrible act of violence around the pit so many years later. And Jeremiah himself was also cast into a pit by his brethren and imprisoned there as Babel besieged Jerusalem. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 294, The Reign of Asa, I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. The first act of violence in the history of biblical Israel took place around a pit, a hole in the ground. We are told in Genesis. And it came to pass when Joseph came unto his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spice and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. Joseph's own brothers cast him into a pit and sell him into slavery. Therefore, when Joseph is later sent to Egyptian prison for some time, only to be released by the Pharaoh, a one-word reference allows us to appreciate the irony. Genesis again tells us, Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the pit. And he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. The Egyptians, in the end, are the ones who take Joseph out of a pit and restore him to freedom, not his brothers. And when his brothers encounter a vizier, which is Joseph in disguise, who accuses them of spying, they ultimately come to see that event as divine justice. And they said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the anguish of his soul, and he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. Joseph, of course, incredibly, astoundingly, forgave his brothers. Many millennia later, a Jew, who himself spent time in a dungeon, remembered at a critical point in Jewish history the violence that had occurred in generations past and, in an extraordinary act, prevented civil war. And a study of the book of Chronicles and its description of the reign of one king in particular allows us to more deeply appreciate how important this is. Much of the attention of the book of Kings was given to the northern kingdom of Israel, where we learned of the downfall of the family of Jeroboam and the rise of another wicked idolatrous king, Basha. In Chronicles, we are told a great deal more of the monarch of the Davidic dynasty who ruled the southern kingdom at that time, Asa, the great-grandson of Solomon. Asa was a righteous king, credited for removing idolatry from his land, though one failing mentioned is that he allowed his subjects to continue their offerings to God on high places outside of the Temple of Jerusalem. But we are told in Chronicles of the importance of his leadership. Chapter 14, verse 2. And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. For he took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places and broke down the images and cut down the groves. And he commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law and the commandment. Also he took away out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the images, and the kingdom was quiet before him. We are further strikingly told by Chronicles of the fact that Asa's righteousness attracted Israelites from the northern kingdom, who made their way to Judah in the south and found therein spiritual sanctuary. 2 Chronicles chapter 15 verse 8 describes the monarch's response to the encouragement of God's prophets to turn his people toward God. And when Asa heard these words in the prophecy of Oded the prophet, he took courage and put away the abominable idols out of all the land of Judah and Benjamin and out of all the cities which he had taken from Mount Ephraim and renewed the altar of the Lord that was before, the sanctuary of the Lord. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and the strangers with them out of Ephraim and Manasseh and out of Simeon, 
for they fell to him out of Israel in abundance when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. So they gathered themselves together at Jerusalem in the third month in the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa. And they offered unto the Lord the same time of the spoil which they had brought, seven hundred oxen and seven thousand sheep. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. The fleeing of righteous Israelites from the north to Judah in the south seems to have attracted the attention of the northern Israelite king. Thus we are informed at the beginning of chapter 16. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha king of Israel came up against Judah and built Ramah to the intent that he might let none go out or come in to Asa king of Judah. The idolatrous king of northern Israel, in other words, creates a fortified area to prevent his own subjects, Israelites that were loyal to the biblical faith, from fleeing south to Jerusalem. This fortification also poses a military threat to Judah in the south, to Asa's land. And Asa, therefore, forms an alliance between his kingdom, Judah, and the kingdom of Aram in order to undo it. Verse 2. Then Asa brought out silver and gold out of the treasures of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, that dwelt at Damascus, saying, There is a league between me and thee, as there was between my father and thy father. Behold, I have sent thee silver and gold. Go, break thy league with Basha, king of Israel, that he may depart from me. And Ben-Hadad hearkened unto king Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel, and they smote Eon and Dan and Avelmayim and all the store cities of Naphtali. And it came to pass when Basha heard it that he left off building of Ramah and let his work cease. Then Asa the king took all Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and the timber thereof, wherewith Basha was building, and he built therewith Geba and Mitzbah. Thus were Basha's fortifications removed through the intervention of Asa's Aramean allies. And this act of real politic is criticized by the prophet. For Asa, the Bible informs us, ought first and foremost to have turned to the Almighty for aid. Fascinatingly, as Rabbi Alex Israel has noted, there is another piece of information regarding Asa's strategic response to this northern threat, and it comes in an entirely different biblical book describing a period many years later. We have seen in our study of Jeremiah how after the destruction of Jerusalem by Babylon, a righteous man named Gedaliah was made leader of those Israelites left in the Holy Land. Gedaliah, in turn, was murdered by a jealous member of the Davidic house, Ishmael, who then also horrifically murdered some unwitting pilgrims who had themselves just discovered that the temple was destroyed. This is Jeremiah 41, verse 2. Then arose Ishmael the son of Nathaniah and the ten men that were with him and smote Gedaliah the son of Achikam the son of Shaphan with the sword and slew him, whom the king of Babylon had made governor over the land. Ishmael also slew all the Jews that were with him, even with Gedaliah and Mitzvah and the Chaldeans that were found there and the men of war. And it came to pass the second day after he had slain Gedaliah and no man knew it that there came certain men from Shechem, from Shiloh, and from Samaria, eighty men, having their beards cut and their clothes rent, and having cut themselves, bearing offerings and incense in their hand to bring them to the house of the Lord. And Ishmael the son of Nathaniah went forth from Mitzpah to meet them, weeping all along as he went, and it came to pass as he met them. He said unto them, Come to Gedaliah the son of Achikam. And it was when they came into the midst of the city that Ishmael the son of Nathaniah slew them and cast them into the midst of the pit, he and the men that were with him. But ten men were found among them that said unto Ishmael, Slay us not, for we have treasures in the field of wheat and of barley and of oil and of honey. So he forbear and slew them not among their brethren. Thus does Ishmael slaughter Gedaliah, Gedaliah's men, and other Israelites that happened upon him. And then we are told the following. Now the pit where Ishmael had cast all the dead bodies of the men whom he had slain because of Gedaliah 
was the one which Asa the king had made for fear of Basha king of Israel. And Ishmael the son of Nathaniah filled it with them that were slain. Apparently, what this means is that after the northern king Basha fortified his border, the southern Judean king Asa created a long pit as a form of defense. And this pit figured years later in a terrible violence of Jews against Jews. Rabbi Alex Israel's comment on this passage in Jeremiah or Yirmiyahu is noteworthy. Quote, it is probable that the details of this pit are recorded in Yirmiyahu as a deliberate reference to a different tragic era of internal conflict in which Jews were fighting between themselves. Based on this information, it seems that Basha built a wall and Asa digs a moat of sorts in self-defense. The bottom line is that the classic north-south road that provided a connection between Yehuda and Yisrael was now blocked and impassable. This takes the division of the kingdom to yet a deeper degree of separation, end quote. This is insightful. Thus did a sign of division between brothers, a pit, become generations later, in the age of Jeremiah, a symbol of violence of brother against brother. And we must note the larger terrible parallel. The throwing of the bodies into the pit in the story in the book of Jeremiah harkens back for the reader to the cruel treatment of Joseph, who was cast into a pit by his brothers. Thus. The story of biblical Israel describes an act of violence around a pit by brethren in Genesis. And then we read in the book of Jeremiah of another terrible act of violence around a pit so many years later. And Jeremiah himself was also cast into a pit by his brethren and imprisoned there as Babel besieged Jerusalem outside the city's walls. And what struck me, ladies and gentlemen, is the following. You know how much I revere the memory of Menachem Begin. And I have discussed in the past how some of the most important and remarkable moments in his life occurred when his forces, the Irgun, were targeted by other Jews. And he still ordered his followers, his soldiers, not to take revenge, thereby preventing civil war. This happened twice. First in what was called the Saison, when the Haganah collaborated with the British in rounding up and imprisoning members of the underground Irgun movement. And in 1948, when Ben-Gurion ordered the shelling of the Irgun ship Altalena. What suddenly struck me, ladies and gentlemen, is that Begin had, like Joseph, long before him, spent time in pits, figuratively and literally, in the dungeons of Soviet prison, and then hiding in the underground. I therefore went back to Begin's memoir, The Revolt, and found a fascinating phrase in his description of how he prevented civil war, how his soldiers all listened to him and did not avenge the violence wreaked upon them by their brethren. Begin, describing his soldiers and remembering the civil war, that divided the Jews in Jerusalem during the end of the Second Temple period, wrote as follows, quote, They were moved by faith, a profound faith that believed the day was not far distant when all the armed camps in Israel would stand and fight shoulder to shoulder against the oppressor. In that hope and with that faith, we said, it was worthwhile enduring grievous suffering. We dared not destroy our faith by opening a bloody abyss between those who were still brothers and might yet become comrades in arms. We saw our people in Europe in the endless procession of death, We saw the ghettos going up in flames. We saw the oppressor plotting against us all. And from down the corridors of history, we heard the echo of those other wars, the cursed internecine wars in dying Jerusalem 19 centuries before. And then Bacon continues, The underground cellar is a high watchtower. Not logic, but instinct said imperatively. No, not civil war. Not that at any price. And who knows? Perhaps instinct is the very heart of logic. End quote from the cellar, from the pit of the underground. A man has a vision of what can be and of a people united. 
Pits have marked division and violence among brethren in the story of the Jewish people. The pit in the story of Joseph and his brothers. The pit in the story of Asa and Basha. The pit into which Jeremiah was thrown. The pit into which those murdered by Ishmael ben Nathaniel were thrown. Suddenly, from a pit in the underground, a vision of Jewish unity came shining forth. And thus, studying Chronicles allowed me to truly revere Bacon's vision. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together next week. Wishing you a Shabbat Shalom. Signing off.